Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Hi. Welcome to another episode. Wendy, you're the one who has the job in this tag team effort of mm-hmm. pulling the questions. Yeah. And you often come to me having looked through all the questions with a heavy heart because, and we're so grateful to everyone who sends in questions, uh, we, we get an interesting window into people's wounds, people's fears, people's sorrows. And we, we are well aware, we, we generally do about three questions an episode and we get hundreds of questions submitted we are well aware that there are far more questions that we're not able to answer uh, compared to the ones that we do answer. But we just wanted to acknowledge this. If you're out there as a listener and you've been thinking, oh, are they ever going to answer my question? Uh, we, we do the best we can, but there are, there are far too many questions that we get. So we, we try to select ones that we think will be pertinent to as, as many people as possible. Um, there are some questions we get and I don't know if you want to speak into this more, love, that there are questions that we get that we, we just carry in our hearts because uh, sometimes the nature of the question is such that it might not be best suited to, to bring out in a podcast episode. So please know that whether we answer your question or not, we're carrying you in our hearts, we're lifting you up in prayer. In fact, before we start recording every episode, uh, Wendy and I pray for all the people who have submitted questions. So Know that you're on our hearts. Do you want to add anything, Wendy? Just my hope is that um, there's that everyone understands that that when you submit a question, it's not you know in any way guaranteed that we will be able to answer your question. I pray that just typing out that question is in some way therapeutic yes. for you. That it kind of places your the question of your heart before the throne of God. If if you see us as kind of a, a connection point to like bring God into the situation. I pray that just the fact of putting that question out there has opened your heart more to hear God speak to you. If he speaks to you through us answering the question on the podcast, that's wonderful, but he may have some other way. And that is also that's my right. prayer that he's, you know, coming into your very personal situation um, with his light and his grace and the courage to live according to the truth of our bodies as he made them to be. And forgive me for this shameless plug, but I I will shamelessly plug our patron community. If you want to have a a better chance of having your question answered, because we get so many, we did want to provide an additional benefit to our patrons. If you're part of the patron community, make sure you go to the patron website and scroll down where it says you can submit your question to the podcast. Uh, we we always give first dibs on our first question of every episode to a patron community member. So if you if you want to boost your chances, consider becoming a patron and support supporting the work of the Theology of the Body Institute. And we do have a question from a patron, Samantha. Hello, Samantha. Thank you so much for your monthly support. So grateful to you. Samantha says... I'm a freelance video producer working mainly with advocacy groups, and I recently received an invitation 
to bid on a project about HIV. I expressed my interest to bid and went on to do my research. In the middle of doing the sample storyboard, I found out that the project was not only about treatment of HIV, but also about prevention in the form of a daily medicine called PrEP. It's a pill that an HIV negative person takes along with using condoms so that he or she can go on with his or her chosen lifestyle. That stopped me for a while. Would this project be good for me? Would I be advocating for same-sex activities by doing this? Would I be committing a sin? Thank you so much for reading this, and God bless you. Samantha, thank you for submitting that question. It is, at a minimum, a thorny issue that you are getting yourself involved in, uh, and it would be hard to argue, based on what you said and the agenda of this particular group that wants to hire you to do this video, it would be very hard to argue that you are not cooperating material materially, that means in a in a formal and direct way and, and in a morally significant way that you are, I think we have to conclude you, you would be cooperating in promoting a life contrary to God's will, contrary to God's plan, knowing what you know of the agenda. Uh, and I can see wh where and why you wanted to do this initially. And you said, as I learned more, there would be nothing contrary in and of itself with doing a video that was uh, an education on AIDS and HIV, so long as you are not producing a video that promotes uh, promiscuity, that promotes immorality in any, in any kind of way. Um, yeah, so I, w I would strongly caution you, uh, and my counsel would be, don't, don't do that. You, you would be cooperating in promoting a lifestyle based on what you've shared, just going off that information. Maybe there's more details I don't know about, but it sounds to me like you would be directly cooperating and therefore you should not do it. Mm. Yeah, I certainly agree. And I know, you know, it was a moral question and that's, you know, it's a gift when we have kind of a clear answer. We don't always yes. have that in our yes. lives. So I, I do feel like that's a gift, but just also an invitation as you reflect on your experience, Samantha, of having, you know, interacted with the people from this group and done some research, just to offer that to the Lord. What, how might he want to use that, either the relationship or the added knowledge you've gained about this whole subject in some form of ministry or in some way in your life that just to trust that nothing is wasted before the Lord. So, yes, yes. you know, if whatever, you know, it may seem like, oh, you know, why did any of that even happen? The Lord, if you just really can turn that all over to him, I, I pray that there will be, you know, a, a direct result in your life that you will be grateful for that. The very fact that this pricked your conscience is an indication, Samantha, that you're on the right track. So, so listen to your conscience. I think it's forming you correctly. Our next question is from Grace. Hello, Grace. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom and helping us understand the world and our relationships in the light of God's Word. You're so welcome. It's very encouraging to have you say that, Grace. Bless you. I'm wondering, what is the role of attraction in a romantic relationship? 
I certainly believe that faith and character are more important in a potential spouse than looks or personality. When I'm pursued by a man with excellent character, I'll give him a chance, even if I'm not initially attracted to him. If that attraction never develops and I find myself dreading spending time with him, I'll end things. Then he'll be upset and say I led him on. I feel guilty for hurting him. I feel I was selfish to give up on someone who's godly, maybe would even make a great husband and father. Is it selfish to value personality, interests, and looks in a potential spouse? And how do you give someone a chance without unintentionally deceiving or hurting them? Grace, thank you so much for making yourself vulnerable here and just putting that question out there. I, I hear your heart. I hear what you're wrestling with. And I can hear your real desire to grow here. And I'll just go right to John Paul II from his book, pre-papal book, called Love and Responsibility, which I would highly recommend. Um, it is a little bit of a difficult read. It's a philosophy book. Um, I remember when I first read it in the early 90s, this was before the internet, so I had to have a philosophical dictionary handy to mm -hmm. look up some of the words, but I, I got through it without much of a philosophical background or training at the time, and I just loved it. It illuminated so much for me. He put into words experiences that I had had in my interior life uh, surrounding all of these things that you just raised about attraction and um, what, how, how do we integrate that into genuine love? That's really your question. How do you integrate attraction into genuine love for the person? This is exactly where John Paul II goes in, in sections of his book, Love and Responsibility. This is what he says. He says, attraction, be it a physical attraction or something he calls charm, which is an attraction to a person's personality, um, their particular charm, Attraction, he says, is the raw material of love. It is not its finished form. Now, what does that mean? The raw material of love can be built into love. But he says we often make the mistake of calling the raw material, this kind of attraction to another person, we make the mistake of calling that love itself. And then when attraction wanes or fades or changes, then we think love has waned or changed or faded. This is how the culture not only suggests we live, but grooms us and trains us to understand romantic relationships. It is based almost merely on the raw material of love. So notice when John Paul says it's the raw material of love, he's not saying deny it or reject it or you should ignore the, your attractions. No, 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 no. But you should build on the raw material and you should raise our attractions, be they of an emotional or sexual character. He says the goal of chastity, the purpose of the virtue of chastity is to raise all of our sensual and emotional attractions to the level of the dignity of the person. This takes deep, inner, painful purifications. And there's no once and done, well, I've been through that purification, now I'm chaste, now I'm pure, now I'm integrated, now my I can build the raw 
raw material into the finished form of love. Been there, done there, got it, good, let's go forward. Uh, I remember when <laughs> Wendy, in our early relationship, as I was working through these integrations and desiring for deeper integration, and I, by God's grace, was experiencing deeper integrations. Mm -hmm. And I think we both kind of made the mistake of, oh, now, now we're healed in that way. Good, mm -hmm. let's move on. Uh, no, we're, we're like an, uh, an onion with many, many layers of dysfunction, with many, many layers of need for healing and integration. So I would say, Grace, I think your name is fitting. Uh, you are called to open your heart to God's grace in all of these places, not in any way to negate your natural attractions, but to allow grace to perfect your natural attractions. This is a very, very important theological principle that grace does not negate nature. Grace perfects nature. Uh, I have a few more things I want to say, but Wendy, I want, I want you to add some thoughts, and then I'll, I'll share some more things that are on my mind. Grace, you're in a, just an interesting time in your life, and I, I know it has a lot of challenges um, just trying to navigate relationships as a single woman, I assume, interested in being married someday. And there's something just so honorable about your desire to be open to a person you don't find attractive because you know he's a good person. And so giving that person a chance to say, maybe if I get to know him, I will be attracted to him. And that's that's beautiful. And I think I just want to affirm that because there are plenty of people who wouldn't think that way. And I think there's something wonderful about that. Um, and I, I don't think you should take it very much to heart to have um, a disappointed suitor blaming you that somehow you've done something very wrong in this situation. I don't get the sense from what you've said that you are making false promises to these um, men or, you know, um, just kind of encouraging them to become very attached to you only to then drop them. It sounds like it's more of an honest, let's be in the relationship in order to get to know one another better. And it is painful to end something, um, to end a relationship that has developed to any degree. Um, and I can certainly relate to that painful for both people. But I, I think that a man who, you know, says you've led him on is probably just feeling that pain and wanting to put some of it back on you because he's frustrated. I think that's a good diagnosis, Wendy. <laughs> so in all of that, I, I'm just thinking about what um, Christopher just shared from Love and Responsibility, where he's maybe kind of encouraging us to think about how um, how attraction can be a starting point, but it's not the end game. But you're actually kind of bringing up, what if there isn't even an attraction at first? Is it okay to end it because no attraction develops? I think yes. I think you're. that's just honest looking at your own heart, that this bonded relationship of marriage 
does involve that raw material of attraction. And I I hope you're taking that from that quote as well. You know, that that is a necessary part of creating that deep bond. And it may develop in a relationship where it wasn't there at first. So I do want to encourage you, I think that is wisdom to be open. I think, honestly, in our relationship, I was attracted to Christopher long before he was attracted to yeah, me. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we need and, to tell a little of our own story and here. so, you know, but we had a friendship, and I do think that just as that friendship unfolded, there became an openness in Christopher to getting to know me and experiencing an attraction that he didn't expect to experience. Um, and so, you know, I just want to share that honestly so that you know that it, it can lead to the beautiful gift of the sacrament of marriage. Amen. If I had dug my heels into what the, the world around me had formed me to think I wanted in terms of attraction, you know, however the world understands that word, um, I had bought into a very superficial idea of attraction that if I had, as I said, if I had stayed locked in that, I would not have pursued my relationship with you, and I would have missed out on the love of my life. And the very thought of it is like a knife thrust into my chest. I, I just want to thank God for the grace of our friendship that we had that allowed me to get to know you, that opened up a whole new world of what attraction means. If we're merely formed in what the culture and the media teaches us about attraction, it is so superficial and stunting. And we can miss out on the joy of really learning a much deeper kind of attraction, which leads to genuine love. And I'm going to put a a link in the show notes of this episode to a video that I, I show almost always in my TOB1 course. And it's to set the stage, if you don't know the movie Tootsie from the early 80s with Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman played a a down-and-out actor in New York City who needed work. And there is an audition for a soap opera for a female part. And in the movie, the premise of the movie is he dresses up as a woman to audition for this part because he needed the work. And lo and behold, he gets the part. And so every day he goes to work and he has to dress as a woman. Everybody thinks he's a woman. It's, it's an interesting study also from the perspective of just how much culture has changed since the early 1980s. This movie could not be made today because of the climate. And just to look at the difference in, you know, uh, what's it been, 40, 40 years? Mm-hmm. I guess it was 40, yeah, 40 years ago this year. I think it came out in 1981. Um, how, how much the culture has changed. Anyway, that's a side note. But years later, like 30 years later, so this video is probably 10 years old, Dustin Hoffman is being interviewed, and he talks about his experience of dressing as a woman, and and he wanted to look more attractive than the makeup artist could actually get him. And he had this epiphany that made him go home, and he says, I went home and I cried to my wife. And my wife says, why are you crying? And he says, because there are so many interesting women out there. I, he says, I think I'm interest, an interesting woman in this character I'm playing. But if, if she showed up at a party and I was there, I wouldn't 
give her the time of day. I wouldn't talk to her because she doesn't meet this, this standard of physical attractiveness that the world has held out. And, and he, he chokes up. It's a very moving video. He chokes up and he says, I knew then I had to do this movie. And he says, it was never a comedy for me. It was never a comedy for me. He was trying to make a point here about our false notions of attraction. Uh, yeah, it moves me even to tell that story because we have been, and he uses the word, Dustin Hoffman in this little interview, he uses the word brainwashed. We've been brainwashed to think certain people are unattractive. Okay, pause right there. There is no, when we understand what it means that every human being is made in the image and likeness of God, there's no such thing as a completely unattractive person. Now, what makes us unattractive is our sinfulness. But even there, our sinfulness is the twisting up of something good, and that which is good is attractive, right? The good and the beautiful are, are, are really the same thing in the final analysis. And even our sin that is what real ugliness is, it's the twisting of something good. So those who are pure of heart, those who are integrated in this way, even when another human being's ugliness is on display, you can see the goodness that is in there. And, and thank God, Wendy, that you had those eyes for me, because in our dating and in our engagement, a lot of my ugliness was on display. And by that, I mean the, the sin in my life. But you had the ability to still see the goodness that was in there, even though it was twisted up, and you believed in that. And you allowed that attraction to grow and to be integrated. And yeah, we, we are so malformed by the world here. So that link will be in the show notes to that interview from Dustin Hoffman. And I, I encourage you to watch it and just pay attention to your heart as you watch it. Whether you're male or female, it can go both ways. It could be just as easily a woman sharing a similar experience of how she had been brainwashed by the culture to think about what attractiveness means and how a woman could have missed out on any number of interesting relationships because men didn't meet the standards of physical attractiveness that the culture holds out. So hold that out to you for your, your prayerful consideration. Now that said, let me also just loop back to what you had said earlier, Wendy, about um, you did not think it was inappropriate for her to end a relationship if there was no attraction, and, and nor would I think it's inappropriate. But what do we mean by no attraction, right? There are, there are different layers to the meaning of attraction. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a certain layer of attraction, which I would call a superficial layer, that initially in our relationship, I didn't experience toward you. Mm -hmm. But as I got to know you, a much deeper attraction grew. Mm -hmm. If that had not happened, we could not have continued our relationship. Right. So it's important that we understand the different levels of attraction that we're talking about. If there is no attraction for the person in the integral sense of the word, then that's not a relationship to pursue. But just be aware of what I would call superficial attraction, that that does not shut you down from pursuing a given relationship. Hmm. That that would be the way I would put it. Yeah, I get it. That um, sort of that allowing the Lord to cleanse us of our, um, maybe just, well, what you said, brainwashing, um, is 
kind of the the principle behind being open to relationships with people that you aren't initially attracted to is that sense of you know lord show me the real person yes and and we'll see what what you want to do with that yes yeah. it's beautiful our next question is from virginia hello virginia how do i explain to someone the difference between looking at art say in the sistine chapel of the naked body versus a playboy centerfold they feel there's no logic to one being good and one being bad how do i show them the difference how do i give them an answer that is logical great question virginia and one that i i love to enter into because this is one of my favorite sections of john paul ii's theology of the body in the conclusion of chapter two uh, chapter 2 of Part 1 of The Theology of the Body, which is Christ Appeals to the Human Heart. That's the title of Chapter 2. And in that chapter, he's reflecting on Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount. If you even look lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So he concludes that entire chapter, and this is the longest chapter of all the chapters in The Theology of the Body. He concludes that with a reflection on the role of the naked human body in art. Is there a proper place for it? Well, uh, if there's any doubt, just keep in mind that John Paul II ordered the removal of many of the loincloths that previous clerics had ordered to be painted over Michelangelo's original nudes in the Sistine Chapel as part of the restoration project of the Sistine Chapel in the 80s and 90s, John Paul II said, remove these loincloths, these awkward draperies that had been painted over Michelangelo's original nudes. And he said, we do this in the name of Christian purity. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Then he went on to say, this is in a homily, you can find this uh, if you just Google John Paul II's uh, homily restoration of the Sistine Chapel or something like that, in that homily, he said, Michelangelo allowed himself to be guided by the evocative words of the book of Genesis, the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. So here we have to understand, in John Paul's language, the difference between nakedness without shame and shameless nudity, right? Nakedness without shame is an experience of nakedness where there's no need to cover the naked body because its dignity is not being violated. That would be nakedness without shame. Shameless nudity would be the experience of nakedness in which the body, the body and its dignity was being violated, but the, the natural need to protect that dignity, which we call a positive sense of shame, right? It's not a negative, like, shame. It's a, it's a positive need to protect the goodness and dignity of the body from the degradation of lust, right? But shameless nudity suppresses that need and basically says, here's my naked body, go ahead and violate it. Go ahead and treat it like a thing. Mm. That's shameless nudity. So let's apply that to the nakedness of the art in the Sistine Chapel and the nakedness of pornography. What's the difference? 
John Paul II says, the difference lies in the intention of the artist, right? The intention of Michelangelo, for example, in the Sistine Chapel, is not to incite lust. The intention of Michelangelo is not to treat or portray the human body so that people will look at it as a thing to be used for one's selfish gratification. The purpose of an authentic artist, a tasteful artist, is to portray the body in such a way that the true dignity, glory, and vocation of the human person is revealed through what John Paul II calls the spousal meaning of the body. This is not the intention of pornographers. The intention of pornographers is to portray the naked human body precisely in such a way that it incites lust in others. And here we can recognize that the porn pornographic intention doesn't even necessitate a naked body, right? You could have a body that is merely partially clothed in such a way as to incite lust in the viewer. Indeed, our, our, the whole marketing industry is programmed to do this, almost the whole marketing industry, the main thrust of it anyway. The goal is to portray the human body in such a way that it incites lust. Now, lots of things going on here. Some people will say, well, is there another way to see the naked human body? You see, it's the masters of suspicion. This is another term I get from John Paul II, which he got from Paul Ricoeur, a philosopher. The masters of suspicion are those who believe that lust is the only way to see the human body. So the masters of suspicion would accuse Michelangelo also of, of a lustful intention because the master of suspicion is so bound by lust in his own mind and heart, his or her mind and heart, that that person projects his or her lust onto everybody else. So Michelangelo, if you're painting nude bodies, you're a pervert because the uh, naked bodies are themselves perverse. Naked bodies of themselves can do nothing but excite lust. This is not our faith. This is not God's vision of the body. This is not what Catholicism holds out to the world. This is the interpretation of suspicion. And John Paul II says the interpre interpretation of suspicion is the antithesis of the meaning of life. Why? Because the meaning of life is to love as God loves. And the call to love as God loves is chiseled by God in the naked human body. And the interpretation of suspicion says, that's not possible. You can't really love with your body in a sexual way that is holy. It's always lust. This is not our faith. That is a Manichaean, puritanical uh, interpretation of suspicion. It is possible by God's grace to have our eyes opened to the glory and the dignity revealed through the naked human body. Now, that said, if someone with a pornographic frame of mind goes into the Sistine Chapel and is excited towards lust by the nudes in the Sistine Chapel, okay, maybe you shouldn't go into the Sistine Chapel, but don't blame Michelangelo for your lust, right? His intention is to help you understand the true dignity and meaning of the body. If you are excited by the nudes in the Sistine Chapel to lust, then by all means, according to the Old Testament expression, uh, it's from the wisdom literature, turn away your eyes from a shapely woman, right? 
Turn away your eyes. Gain custody of the eyes, what we would typically say in Catholic circles. But I'm going to add this, just as John Paul II does. Do not consider gaining custody of your eyes to be the fullness of the virtue of purity. As John Paul II says in very taught to splendor, Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount that I referenced earlier, if you even look lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Those words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount are an invitation to a pure way of looking at others so that we come to see and rejoice in the spousal meaning of the body. What's the spousal meaning of the body? It's the call to holy communion that God has chiseled right in the sexual difference. Lord, open our eyes to the true beauty, the true glory, the true dignity of the human body. How do we overcome the evil of pornography? How do we overcome evil in general? St. Paul tells us we overcome evil with good. That's the purpose of the Sistine Chapel. In fact, at the dedication ceremony of the restored frescoes, John Paul II declared the Sistine Chapel the shrine to the theology of the human body. There it is. Mm. Any thoughts, Wendy? I know I rambled there for quite a bit. I loved it. It was great. Well, thank you. I do think it it can be hard for, I, I would suspect that this person you're speaking with maybe experiences the a very similar reaction to nudity in fine art as the reaction to pornography. So that would create the difficulty in seeing any logic to there being a difference. I do think um, there is a difference, as you've just explained it so beautifully, Christopher. Um, it could be if you would ask this friend to think about there being different ways of encountering a nude, a naked body. For example, to ask um, him, if it's a man, um, to think about how people in healthcare would be called to look at uh, a naked person, to see the person and respond to the person versus seeking a physical reaction. And that might be a good stepping stone to looking at there being different ways for a human being to encounter nakedness and to kind of take then that as a step in the process of recognizing that there is a, a totally other message in beautiful naked bodies in art that have to do with revealing deep truths about humanity yes, yes. that are absolutely not the goal in pornography. If pornography, a person creating pornography's goal is for you to be aroused by the image. In a lustful way. In a lust, lust, aroused to lust. Yeah, aroused to lust, yes. Um, and that is not the goal in fine art. And so just to try to illuminate that very simple difference, and it could lead to a journey down this path of really recognizing that our bodies have meaning. Yes, is that, yes. That's why we have this podcast, Theology of the Body. That's why we're talking about it, because our bodies express something profound. You really helped me, Wendy, here. Uh, you worked for years as a an RN, mm -hmm. and when we were dating and engaged the first couple years of our marriage, you were an RN. And I remember, you know, in my own 25-year-old humanity, mm -hmm. Wrestling with the fact that, you know, you had to catheterize male patients, mm -hmm. which means you have to 
grip their anatomy and mm -hmm. put the catheter in. And I remember just, you know, going through, whoa, 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 how, what, you're touching other men's penises? What, what? <laughs> and you, I remember various conversations we had where you just opened my eyes to another way to see the human body. Mm. And I remember when I had that ski injury uh, six years ago, mm -hmm. um, I was in the hospital for five days and I had to be catheterized and a female nurse catheterized me twice. And it was the first time that any woman other than my wife had touched my penis. And, you know, a little weird at first, maybe, but I really felt her love for me. I mean, it can seem sound strange out of context, but I'm trying to make a point here. Yes. She, she came with love and compassion and compassion because I was suffering. Right. I could not urinate. <laughs> and here I am talking about this on a podcast. Um, <laughs> some woman touching my penis because I couldn't urinate on a podcast. But I, I'm just trying to be real. This was these are real questions, real things we, we face in life. Yeah. And I, I it sounds strange even to have it come out of my mouth. But I really felt her compassion and her love for me as she did her duty as a medical professional to catheterize me. Mm -hmm. And and I experienced on the other side of it what you had been trying to tell me all those mm -hmm. years before. Right. And it does. It opens your world to another way of seeing the body. We have pornified the human body. Our bodies are not pornographic. Our bodies are theographic. They reveal the mystery of God, and and holiness is the invitation to honor the mystery of God revealed through our bodies. And I'll, I'll close with this quote from the Catechism, because I know there are skeptics out there. There are people who fall into that interpretation of suspicion, and I've heard it again and again and again and again. Well, fine, Christopher, maybe that's true, but only in the resurrection at the end of time will we be able to see as God sees. And there's a truth to that. We will only see fully as God sees in the resurrection at the end of time. No doubt. Absolutely true. Let me just quote the catechism here. The catechism says, and you can look it up in its section on purity of heart, it says, even now, that's how the catechism paragraph begins, even now, purity of heart enables us to see the human body, ours and our neighbor's, as a manifestation of divine beauty, even now. Mm -hmm. So there's always room for more growth here. We can never say, I'm arrived, I've arrived, I'm totally pure of heart. No, always room for more growth. And we, we have to recognize we could slip and fall easily too, right? Even going into the Sistine Chapel, one might slip and fall easily. But again, don't blame Michelangelo for that. Don't think the solution is to cover up uh, the, the beautiful art in the Sistine Chapel. The solution is not to cover up the beautiful art in the Sistine Chapel. The solution is to cry out, Lord, God, Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see. Open my eyes. Purify my heart. Teach me to see the true dignity of the human body as you created it to be. So, as I said at the start of my answer, I love that question. I go on it, oni, noni, no, noni, 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 noni. Um, quoting Rapper's Delight for some reason that just came to me. Anyway, for now, that's all I have to say about that. But I know that you know someone who needs to hear what you just heard in this episode. 
So will you help us out and click that share icon and help share the good news of this podcast with others who need to hear it? Mm -hmm. That's how it grows. That's how we become just part of the new evangelization by sharing this good news with as many people as we can. Until next time, and in between and after and throughout your whole life, <laughs> may you know that you are an unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.